This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite executive coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you've set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Tony DeRico, the founder and chief executive officer of Chapel Hill-based Profit Hunters International, a business consultancy that provides talent management programs and comprehensive assessment tools to help its clients recruit, hire, train, develop, and retain staff. Prior to founding Profit Hunters, Tony served the hospitality industry for more than 35 years in senior-level positions at Richfield Hotel Management, Inc., Choice Hotels International, Highgate Hotels, Westmont Hospitality, and Best Western International. During his hospitality career, Tony was responsible for operations, sales and marketing, food and beverage, education and training, revenue management, and quality assurance for as many as 5,000 hotels in the U.S., Canada, and the Caribbean. In 2017, Tony was named chairman of the board of Be Someone, a nonprofit organization that promotes self-esteem, responsibility, and analytical thinking among children in underserved communities. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Tony and learn how he defined success and the lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you are looking for. Really excited to welcome Tony DeRico to the phone today. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Appreciate you giving me a holler and allowing me to talk to you. Absolutely. And we're going to dive right in. I know you're a super busy guy. We're going to dive in by having you tell us what are you working on right now? What's your big focus and joy in life right now? Oh, enjoy life. That's every morning. Get up with a smile on my face. I've got a couple things that have really kind of been exciting. I think I may have told you this, but I'm very blessed. I had a wonderful career in the hotel business. I have a beautiful wife, two lovely children. I have financial success. And I started what I call my pay it forward pro bono coaching program. I've always done it kind of informally, but what I've done is I have accepted individuals that are looking to get some career advice and I provide them a behavioral assessment, kind of like the one you took. And I give them two one-hour coaching sessions with me for free. It's about $1,200 a day. So it's kind of nice to help people out. Most of my work has been in my consulting firm, has been one-on-one with corporate clients. And I'm trying to figure out, how do I expand my reach? So we are launching starting September 7th is the first one. And it's directed, in this case, to the independent pharmacy owners. I've got a couple hundred clients in that area. So we're going to put out a series of webinars on how to market, to increase sales, how to hire, how to train, how to develop a world-class team, kind of like football. Went in the Super Bowl as an independent pharmacy owner. Those are probably two of the exciting things I'm working on. 
No, it is exciting. And the work you do and the work I've been focused on both really revolve around teams and high performance and human capital, talent, talent management. Why was that your choice after leaving the hotel industry? How did you end up in this place where working um, with talent was going to be such an important piece of your consulting, your consulting business? Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I reflected back at what did I really enjoy? You know, I was in charge of 10,000 people, 100 plus hotels, whatever it was, 150. And I said, you know what did I enjoy doing? And I really enjoyed developing people. I enjoyed hiring people. I enjoyed developing people. I hated firing people, but I was very good at that too. Because if a person is caustic, it's kind of like if you had a beautiful barrel of ripe apples, beautiful apples, you put one rotten apple in that barrel, those beautiful apples do not make that one bad apple better. But that one infectious apple can infect the whole barrel. So I decided I'm going to start consulting and helping companies do what I did when I was leading the company, which is hire and develop a world-class organization. Tell us more about what it looks like to help develop world-class organizations. What What is the recipe? What What's involved in that? First, you have to have an owner or a leader that's committed to the mission. They have to buy into the fact that that's what they want at the end of the day. And to do that, it requires commitment. It will require some resources, partially financial, and also committing time and energy. Once you get the leader's commitment, from there it's easy. Then it's a matter of, for, for us, for example, we'll start with the leadership team. We'll start, we start with them individually taking our behavioral assessment so that they understand and we understand who they are and their co-workers can understand why, for example, you know, it could be the CFO and the VP of sales and marketing are in conflict. Well, if you look at the report, if one is low in nurturing, say the CFO, which is give me the facts and I'm going to give you the answer. And the vice president of sales and marketing is one who is much more nurturing and wants to talk it out, hug it out. Well, those two people will probably be in conflict. So we first, it's kind of like being a doctor. See the healthy organization, you got to do a blood test. So everybody takes a blood test. Then from there, we will share the results. We'll then provide a couple of suggested cures or prescriptions. And then we start working on it. It's no different than football. You want to win the Super Bowl, you got to have you know, spring training. You got to get everybody in shape. You got to get everybody on the same page. And then you practice. See, that's sort of the mistake most people make. Most organizations don't practice their trade. They just want to play Sunday football seven days a week. Can you imagine if a football team didn't practice at all and only played on Sunday? That's really interesting. I use football as an analogy often in goal setting and and having the right players on the team and the coaching and all kinds of other areas. But I think I've never used that exact analogy before, and I think it's really interesting. It's yours for free. Ah, thanks. I appreciate that. And for all our listeners. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that's, You're welcome. That's really great. So you spent 35 years in the hospitality industry. How long have you now been doing the consulting for um, – you're with your, your company, Profit Hunters. Uh, we started in 2006. So we've been at it, I've been at it for 11 years, and I'm still working at perfecting my trade. Sure, as we all should be consistently or constantly and consistently perfecting ourselves mm-hmm. and sure. our trade. And hopefully that's why people are listening, professional development and personal development. Mm-hmm. And so uh, along the way, so since 2006, you, you moved from the hospitality industry, an industry you knew very well over 35 years, and started something new. 
It sounds like consulting and this whole talent management would have been a new idea, not new concepts because you had loved that whole part of your last job developing people, but you decided Mm. to take it in a new industry and do it differently. What were some of the biggest lessons for you along the way from going from one industry to a new industry like consulting? It's so much nicer when you have a company that just writes you a paycheck and you don't have to work. Um, Part of of being an entrepreneur, part of Am I right or am I right? Oh, my gosh. Hallelujah. Could I not just, yes, amen to that as an entrepreneur? Right? Yes, sir. I mean, it looks it looks great from the outside. <laughs> you look at Brian Tracy, John Maxwell. God, Tony Robbins, 40 million bucks a year. Hell, I can do that tomorrow, right? Right. You don't look at the sweat and toil. It's a, like every profession, right? You never see the work they put in to be great. You just see the results. How many people know that Bill Gates failed and his first company went bankrupt? Mm. How many people know that? I don't know if I know I, that. I posted, I posted something about that on LinkedIn. Most people who have great failures. Now, you'll know about Trump because somebody wants to right. point that out. <laughs> but Bill Gates' first business venture went bankrupt. Now, did that stop him? No. He's an entrepreneur. So I think the point I'm trying to make is it's tough. You all of a sudden, you got to be the sales guy. You got to be deliverer. You got to be the bookkeeper. You got to be the the HR person. Entrepreneur doesn't mean buying a franchise. Entrepreneur means you come up with an idea and you bust your butt seven days a week. I was doing conferences. I was doing networking events. My God, I was doing everything to try to figure out how to connect and get customers who would listen to me and eventually hire. It took me a few years to figure it out well enough to be doing equally, if not better than I was doing the hotel business. I appreciate you sharing that because it's so true. So many people start off in entrepreneurial ventures. I'm in my own. And we see those around us like yourself who have been successful. And we then look at ourselves and, and possibly, and I will not say possibly, and say, well, why aren't I doing as well? Or what's wrong with me? Or we don't see what it took for you to get to yeah. where you are. We don't see the sweat and the tears. We don't see the the practices like you were talking about with the football teams. We see the game day. We don't see what went into creating that team prior to game day. And we don't see the failures of most entrepreneurs because that's not what we wear on our sleeves. That's what we keep you um, know, to ourselves yeah. too often. Tom Brady is the best quarterback because he's been at it for 30 years, 30 years from when he was peewee football, had a coach, and I guarantee you, their tears, their, you know, their broken bones probably, but he persevered and he knew what he wanted, but people look at him today, oh man, he's a rich, spoiled guy, he, he gave all the salary virtually back to the company, but they think he just showed up one day just because the other guy got hurt, he got put in there, they forget in hours and hours. They only take one week off a year, wow. and then they're back busting their butt because that competition is tough. You think our business is tough? Right. Try being pro sports. Yeah, that would be. Man. Yep. Fewer opportunities for for them to actually play, while we can obviously play as much or as little as we want to based on how yeah. much effort we want to put in. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. So how do you then – help somebody define success because a lot of people I think get stuck in that whole idea of, Oh, I'm successful when I reach this or when I make this kind of money or when I'm known, but there's all of that that goes into getting there. And it doesn't mean you're not successful along the way. What is success for you? What does it look like? How do you define it, Tony? Actually, I had somebody that helped me define, and his name is Jim Rohn. You ever hear Jim Rohn? Mm -hmm. 
talk about Love goals. Darun. Yes. Success is a series of goals. Life is a series of goals. You're born, you start to develop goals, right? You want to be on the football team. You want to play hockey. You want to play tennis. You want to be on a swim team. And success is how well did you accomplish each goal you set for yourself along the way? One of my goals back in, gosh, I still have my goal sheet somewhere. I should probably put up. I have a goal sheet for virtually every year. 1981, I said I was going to be the president of the hotel company. It happened, right? It was a five-year goal. I think it happened in 93, 94, no, 94, 95. I had an economic goal. It was seven figures, and I met it. I exceeded it. Those are successes. To have a successful life, I think you'll know when you're on your deathbed. And you look back and say, did I do everything that I wanted? Did I, did, as I'm on my deathbed at 85 years old, am I coming on my Harley, sliding down to third <laughs> base? And did I, is, do I have any regrets? Do I regret that I don't have to tell this? No. People estimate today. Wouldn't it be so much easier if you're still making blah, blah, blah? No. That's behind me. Right. I don't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror. <laughs> so success is, number one, I think most people don't know how to set a goal. They never learned. They never studied. I studied a lot. Dennis Waitley, Jim Rome, Zig Ziglar. And by, by, I met most of these people, either in person or through their books. How about Napoleon Hill, Absolutely. the number one business book in the world? Absolutely. I read it two or three times a year. From cover to cover. That's my that's my definition of success. Most people not learning how to set a goal, I think, is so true and something really interesting because not something that most schools teach. Just like they don't teach wealth man wealth management, they don't teach proper health and nutrition. We're just expected to learn it from those around us. But what happens when those around us don't know how to do those things? It becomes it becomes challenging. And I love that you talked about actually having to learn how to set a goal. Is there anything you can share with us today in just a few minutes that would help somebody listening who doesn't know how to set a goal to get started? Sure, absolutely. The, most people have dreams. I, when I talk to people, I said, you know, think about your life. Give things you're like, oh, I got more things I want to do in my life. I got dreams coming out of my ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, interesting. I said, you know what a dream is without a dead a due date? A they wish? said, what? I said, a night, a nightmare. Ah, a nightmare. A dream without a due date is a nightmare. So I've got a, I got a one-page uh, how to set goals. Number one, take a piece of paper, write down everything you ever want between now and when you die. People say, "Oh man, I'm gonna have hundreds and hundreds of things to put on that paper." You know where most people hit the hit the wall? About thirty. I was gonna say twenty, but yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> 20, 20, 30. and it's what happened to? I thought you had all these great things you want to do in your life. Well, you mean well, but I don't want to have to put on paper. I said simple now. And by the way, I'm teaching you what Jim Rohn taught me. Sure. So now you take a piece of paper and a copy, put one, three, five, and 10. Those are years. I want to accomplish in one year, three years, five years, 10 years. Take those 30 things, go through them all, and put a number. I want to accomplish learn Spanish in one year. I want to be, visit Egypt in three years. Put a number, one, three, five, and 10. Now you got 30 things with numbers on. Now here's the hard part. Pick four, and they have to go the most important four in each category and only put those four things. You've just developed your goals for the next 10 years. Then then the hard work comes in, the hard work. actually doing what it takes, being willing to pay the price. Most people don't achieve their goals because they're not willing to pay the price. Yeah. How many people are willing to wake up at four o'clock every morning, like I do sometimes, because I've got a goal to accomplish? It's true. It's discipline. It's the There's a saying, the pain of discipline is better than the pain of regret. That's Jim Rohn. Is that a Jim Rohn quote? I love Jim Rohn. <laughs> yes, ma'am. That's what that is. Yeah, I know. I've heard it somewhere. So yeah, he is a wonderful man. I love listening to him. He's got him and Zig Ziglar both have great voices. 
also to listen yeah. to. I love how they both speak. So this is great. This is really helpful for anyone listening to get started. And, of course, there's lots of resources out there like Jim Rohn, like yourself and other coaches and great leaders that can help anyone who really wants to learn how to set goals. And I think the point of this for me is that a lot of things in life aren't taught to us but are so important, like learning how to set goals. And if you don't know how, don't just shrug your shoulders and say, I don't know how. Go learn how. Go figure it out. Go talk to people. Find I'm, I'm going to argue about this one thing. Sure. I think we're taught we don't learn. I watch football to learn, not to be entertained. I read books, not to read books for fun. I write, I read a book with a yellow pad and a pen and paper, and I say, I'm going to find it's the eye of the tiger. When I do read a book, I say, I'm going to find three to five nuggets in that book, and I'm going to figure out how to use it. See, people teach us all the time. It's that we're not willing students to learn. That's an interesting way to look My at thing. it. I've never thought about it that way from the perspective of someone might be, quote unquote, teaching me something, even though they're not purposely teaching me something, and I'm not sitting there going, what am I going to learn Ooh. from this? But if we Ooh. go into more situations with that attitude, the things that we will learn be exponential. Well, think again, football, football of all the athletic sports is probably the most perfect model to try to model for business. You got to have a game plan. Yes. We call those business plans, right? Yep. You got to hire right. Well, here's a, I, I often use an exercise. Let's say Sharon, you and I won a, the lottery this last year, and we won seven hundred thousand dollars, seven hundred million dollars. Okay. Who said we're going to go buy a football team? What football? What football team would you like to buy, Sharon? I'd like to buy a, a team that's already got good players Anyone. and is a winning Just team. Name it. You want me to actually name yeah. a team? Oh, yeah. What team do you want to buy? Oh. Um, well, I grew up with the Detroit Lions, even though they're not much of a winning team. So I don't know if I'd there want to go. buy them, but we could buy them and make them better. Let's <laughs> buy them. Let's buy them. Let's buy them. They'd be cheap. Team they'd to be, buy. They we won't be. have to pay to bring them like the Cowboys. <laughs> so we have to have less debt. So here's the other thing the NFL is going to do for you and me. They're going to do it because you're such a nice lady. <laughs> they're going to give us the ability to have the best player at every position from any team we want. Now, so then you and I are the owner. And I come to you and say, Sharon, I got an idea how we can make more money. We got the best players. Let's fire all the coaches. We don't need coaches. We got the best players. And what would you say to Dorico? You'd say, go ahead. What would you say to me? I'd say you're- We want to fire all 16 coaches. Yeah, I, I'm not thinking that's a good business plan, Tony. You'd say you're freaking nuts. <laughs> I would say something you like that. $700 million invested and you want me to fire the coaches? <laughs> and I'd say, we got the best players. Do the best players need coaches? Oh, yeah. Why do most leaders in businesses not have a coach? Oh, why preaching. don't they have a career coach? Yeah, you're preaching to the choir on that one. It's a great question. Why don't why don't more people have coaches in life or in business or in career? If if the best of the best do, if Oprah Winfrey has a coach and all the great Tom golfers got, and Tom, Tom Brady's Brady. got Tom yep. Brady's got minimally two yep. quarterback coach and a head coach. And I guarantee you, when he leaves sports, you don't think he's gonna have a coach? Absolutely. You don't will. think he'll have a financial coach? Absolutely. Yes. A real estate coach, a nutritional coach. I'm and why, so why does everybody in the audience here think they're better than him? They don't need somebody to hold them accountable and coach them to success. I don't know the answer to that question. Do you? They haven't, they, they haven't learned what people have tried to teach. I hear you. Maybe someone will learn that lesson today listening to us. Watch, watch the NFL this weekend, and you tell me how that team would do if they didn't have coaches pair them to that game. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I, was, no, I went on there. This was, it was fantastic. It was great. I was trying to think of where we started that conversation so I could segue us to the next, next logical, next logical uh, piece of the conversation. 
But it's okay, I made a logic. No, go for it. It don't perfect. matter. So what have you? So along the way, you know, we 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 talked about failure. We talk about trial and error, and yeah. and what works and what doesn't work. What has been some of the things that didn't work for you that you would say, "Oops, that that didn't work the way I wanted it to," and you learned from? What were those things? Let me let me actually start you a little early. Sure. I'm gonna re I'm gonna restate your question for me. Okay. Which is what did I learn at the first job I ever had? Great. I was 16 years old. They built a brand new hotel in Binghamton, New York. My buddies from high school said, hey, they're hiring busboys down at the hotel. They had to be 18. So we lied. You know, it was 1969. Who cares? And nobody checked. So I was a busboy. Got a job. Went in there. You got a job. You know what I learned? Show up 15 minutes for work early with a great attitude and work your butt off. You beat 80% of the competition with those simple things. The guy that, by the way, told me about the job, he lasted three weeks. <laughs> Another buddy of mine lasted a month. And, you know, when they called me and said, Tony, so-and-so didn't show up. Would you come to work? I said, of course I will. I'll be there in 15 minutes. How many people don't even answer the phone when the company's called? Well, not anymore with Especially caller ID. <laughs> yeah, you, back yeah. in 1969, you couldn't screen your call, but you can now. Well, you just didn't have, well, you had you to be home to get phone. the call. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> you know? of course. Yeah, I had to be home to get calls, too. <laughs> I was 16. Yeah, but, but somebody gave you a message. They said, hey, work called. I call work. Come on to work. Well, shit, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me that wouldn't work today. Tell me that wouldn't beat 80% of the competition today. Absolutely. Or even just showing up with a good attitude, even if you show up on time and not 15 oh minutes my early. God. Just a good well, attitude. Think about this. Last time you went to a restaurant that you had a terrible experience, how much of it was the people and how much of it was the food? Oh, it's rarely the food. It's rarely the food is the yeah. issue. And when the food is an issue is how is it handled? Absolutely. Will the owner come out? Will the waiter do a well, good job? Will they apologize and quickly fix the problem yeah. rather than trying to make excuses why you don't understand how good the food is? Okay. I had that happen to me. Yeah. You don't know how good that food is. I said, yeah, dude, it's crap. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My, my first job, yeah. my very first job might have been actually as a bus, bus girl around age 14. I worked in a bakery yeah. in the counter. I waitressed all the way through most of college. So I'm very yeah. particular about the service industry when it comes to serving me food because yeah. I've been there and I've done that. And it definitely, yeah. for the most part, seems to have gone downhill quite a bit. See, I became the maitre d' of that restaurant at 20. I was going to ask if that was your entrance into the hospitality world yeah. at 16. Yeah. yeah. At 20 years old, I was the maitre d' of a four-star white tablecloth doing flambe tableside. One day I made, and this is in 1974, I made a $7,000 tip for one day. Wow. That's unheard of even today. 1974. Wow. I was working in the there's, wrong there's restaurants. A big, that's a big story behind that one. We'll have to do that some more. <laughs> is that even an appropriate story for uh, radio? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was, I worked from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. gladly. Yeah. And I and I got personally 7000 bucks. Wow. That's incredible. Personal. That's Are incredible. you here at Macintosh Stereo Equipment? Don't know. I, I don't know. The number one brand in the world. Okay. They make it in Binghamton, New York, and they do not advertise. That's why you don't hear about it. That's why. It's, they advertise by bringing in dealers from around the world and entertain them up the hill. 24 distributors from Japan. We did breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't know what the bill must have been astronomical back then. Gordon Gow was the president. He was a Canadian, about five foot four. He would tip 50, 40%, 50% of the bill. Wow. And the bills would always be $1,000, $2,000. They come in for dessert and it would be a thousand dollars. And I personally would make a decent amount of money. He paid for my Jaguar. In your twenties. 
I had a baby, I had a baby blue 1973 XKE convertible. I was pretty hot back then. Yeah. That's pretty successful. So, but you want to know about failures. Yes. I want to know about failures. Why aren't you telling me about failures? Uh, cause I don't like thinking about them cause then you get drawn towards them. So I don't, I hate thinking, thinking. And if I start thinking about failures, what am I programming in my brain? To be attracted to that. I totally get it. And I totally agree with you from uh, from that but perspective. But we learn from our failures, don't we? So there's something in there that we can share. Right, right. I can do that. Okay. Um, you want a big one or a small one? You decide um, what you're sharing. A meaningful one. Something that someone can learn from. I learned that you cannot hold people accountable to your expectations of yourself. Oh, I love that. I was and still am demanding. I don't understand why you can't get things done on time. I don't understand why you can't get the results you should be getting. I, I hate to say it. I say, listen, the only excuse I'll accept is if you're in the hospital, both legs are broken, both arms are broken, and you're in a coma. Then I understand why you didn't get something accomplished. That's a little insensitive, but it did work pretty good. <laughs> but so I, what happens is, to be honest with you, people either love you or they hate you. That's the price you pay. In fact, I had a CIO one time asked, Tony, we were at a conference in Atlanta, convention. And, and this was a new guy, that a new employer I was working for. I'm going to really name this. And we went there and we were walking around the convention hall and his name was Steve, Steve M. He said, Tony, you know, I noticed yesterday, boy, people love you. But he said, God, a few of those people, I could tell, they hated you. <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, how come? So, well, you mean Steve? Because I fired Steve. So why'd you fire him? Because he stole from me. And he said, and that's bad. Well, some people don't have standards. They think that the fact you take equipment from work, you take it home and you use it for your own personal use, that that's acceptable. To me, that's not. I not only have standards, but I hold myself accountable. I hold others to it. So that's, a, he said, but it's evident. These guys don't like you. I said, they hate me. I'm telling you, I know that. Um, so sometimes you got to temper a little bit. You got to say, I cannot impose my expectations on somebody else. Not everybody wants to be the president. Not everybody wants to be the vice president. Not everybody wants to be the general manager. So don't impose my desires on them because that may not be their goal. There's nothing wrong with being a workhorse. I had a boss. His name was Tom Fetty. He's passed, so I can say it. When I became a vice president the first time, I said, Tony, come on in. Got off. Nice office. I said, no, I got to share this with you. You are going to be now managing more people stuff than you ever managed before. He said, there's three kinds of people. So they're racehorses. Your job is to be a jockey. Hold on. Make sure they're pointing the right way and just hold on for dear life because they're going to go like hell. So you're going to have plow horses. Your job is to make sure they're well fed. They're going to work their butts off. Just make sure they're fed. You know, take care of them. So then you're going to have the dogs. Just shoot the dogs as quick as you can because they will sing you. I still tell that story today. So biggest failure, trying to tell everybody they have to work as hard as I did, as intensely as I did, and expect that everybody want to become depressed. I think that's great. That, that, was, that was wrong in my behalf. And when I say I think that was gr- that's great, I think it's a really great piece of um, learning or a great piece of advice, whether we're using that as advice. But if someone's listening and they take that as a nugget away from this conversation, I just add, I think that's really a really great way to look at things. Because I know there are times that maybe not from a work perspective, but just I expect people to know certain things or be a certain way. And that's ridiculous mm-hmm. because that's not who they are. Well, think, of, think of how many parents who are maybe professional doctors and lawyers who impose on their children that they have to be a doctor or a lawyer right. and they screw their kids up royally. And their child wants to be an artist, violinist, ballerina, whatever. And they think, no, you got to be a lawyer. 
it's in the family tradition. I mean, they screw kids up bad. Absolutely. I know when I'm teaching or training or talking on talent and development and all of that, it's about knowing who your people are and how they're wired and what motivates them so that they can do the work that's aligned with who they are and you can help nurture them into yeah. that role, not into some preconceived notion of what that job title is supposed to do. It's, it's where their passion is. If somebody's passionate about and success, you can reach phenomenal success at anything you do. Wayne Heisinger. You know who Wayne Heisinger is, right? I want to say I do because that sounds like the smart answer, but I, the name doesn't sound familiar. He is the guy that made a fortune out of picking up garbage. Okay. Tell us the story. Waste management. Waste management he was company. A okay. Yeah, he was a, a co-founder, CEO of Waste okay. Management. He owned the Miami Dolphins. He's got Republic. I believe he's still alive. I met with him one time. We are going to develop a hotel for him. Man, that guy had eyes that would just glare right through you. But he... You know, he was successful in the garbage business to the point where Republic, he did, I think, the National Auto, I think, Nation, Auto's Nation. I think he started that. I think he had a cluster for a while. He owned Miami. Called Republic. I think his company's now called Republic. It's a holy company. And then any any industry. Look at some guy had some coffee shop thing, right? Didn't he? Seattle, I think. Some guy <laughs> said, I'm going to make better coffee. And I'm going to charge twice as much to, so people think it's better than anybody else's coffee. <laughs> You know, you can buy a coffee at McDonald's for a buck, which is better tasting to me than the one you buy for 10 bucks. Who thought you could become a billionaire selling coffee in a corner of a store? Some guy did. Yeah, there's a lot of really industries out there that I you wish never would have thought of. I know. There's <laughs> I a lot of things. Me, but it's not. A lot of things I wish I thought of or wish that I'd known how to create that I maybe I did think of once. <laughs> yeah. I, used... I think the one percenters of the, the top 5% in any industry, their financial success is untold. The trick is don't, if you are, if mediocrity is okay and you're satisfied, and it's okay to be, I'll call mediocre, mediocre or average. Say average, average that's yeah. a better term. Average. It's okay to be an average restaurant. It's okay to be an average coffee shop, but then don't complain about the guy who doesn't want to be average. Just you enjoy what you got. Let them enjoy what they got. Don't cast stones. My opinion. Absolutely. No, this is great. This is great information you're providing, whether it's advice or whether people just look at it as really great nuggets to take away. This is all really, I think, really wonderful. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I wish I would have taken that. I didn't take I didn't take it though. That's my problem. That's my problem. Advice. Uh, a mentor, a boss, somebody you met yeah, on the street. I, yeah, I, I'm trying to relate to Here's the probably my the guy that really set me on the path for success was James Mincer. He were he was a, a real estate investor. He used to be an English teacher, and they figured out you don't make money as an English teacher. Unfortunately, in New York City, and, you know, unfortunately, but that's it's true. true. Yep. Well, to be honest with you, unless you become the provost of Harvard and you make five million a year being a teacher, that's the top, right? Still at the top. The people in the middle don't. So he got in the real estate business. He bought a resort in Fort Lauderdale. <clears throat> and um, the manager that was there was not doing the job he wanted, so they changed. They asked me to take over the facility. <clears throat> I met with, I still remember the day, November 6, 1982. We met in the coffee shop, so Howard Johnson's coffee shop, and he was head of accountant with him. He's telling me, glad to have you here. I'm looking forward to you being successful, blah, blah, blah. He says, you just got to know one thing. I said, Jim? And I actually said, Mr. Mincer, what is that? I just want to tell you about my transaction here. It's 150 rooms on the beach. Uh, it's on a land lease. Okay, that's a land lease. Um, and he said, I paid $9 million for the building. I've got $3 million to renovate it, which I'm going to give you to do. And I made a 30% syndication fee. So he says, I got $15 million in the deal. I said, I'm thinking, I'm shaking my head like I knew what I was talking about, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
what the hell is he telling me? <laughs> he said, and all you got to do every month is just send me $85,000. I said, uh, okay. And I'm thinking, what's he talking about? See, I was working in an institutional management company. We worked for Travelers and Prudential that they didn't care about profits. They said, don't embarrass us because they got the hotels because they were, you know, uh, foreclosures. Keep our name pristine. So nobody made profits. They just don't. He taught me that when you run a business, you got to run a profit. And I thought, interesting concept. And ever since then, I, when I took out a new project and I met with an owner, my first question is, tell me what the target is. How much money do you need from me every year? Now that I know it, I can deliver. That's simple. And that's a question I ask virtually anybody throughout my hotel career, which was, how much you want every year? Because if you, see, if you don't get the goal or the target, how can you hit a target you don't know? Absolutely. I'll give you an exercise. This is good for everybody in the room. I go to Whistler, Whistler BC. I'm sitting in a room with the manager and the executive team. <clears throat> and I'm, here I'm into goal setting, right? Really into goal setting. And I'm talking. I said, what kind of business are we in? Oh, we're in the hospitality business. We're in the hotel business. Nope, you're all wrong. They looked at me like, who is this crazy Americano <laughs> coming from America to Canada to tell us how to run the business? I said, we happen to be in the investment business. Your owners are in estate. They're money investors. They happen to invest in this hotel. I said, if you had $100,000 in the bank, how much money do you want? So put it on a piece of paper. We came out with, on average, about 10%. I said, that's what your owners want. So that's weird. He said, they don't want to get service. Of course they do. If that gets in their money. I said, here now, take that piece of paper, wrinkle it up. Now you got to follow my directions. You know, I'm the senior vice president of this company. So you got to follow my directions, right? Well, everybody said, oh yes, sir. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So crumble up that paper. Now on three, not two, not one, but on three, I want you to throw that paper against that wall, hit the target. You ready? One, two, three. There are 15 people in the room. How many people throw the paper? Maybe a couple. 15. They all 15. Okay. I'm not good at answering your question. <laughs> How many hit the target? I don't know. None. That's what I wanted to say. I didn't tell them what the target I didn't tell them what the target <laughs> That's was. That's what I was wondering. I was like, is there a target? I said, nobody hit it. They said, yeah, but you didn't tell what the target was. You didn't ask me. So I said, let me show you. So I go over to the wall. on the corner of the picture on the wall. So here's the target. Pick up your paper. Now again, on three. Ready? Not one, not two, but three. One, two, three. Throw. How many hit it? More of them. Nobody. Nobody? Nobody. They still didn't hit it? They picked up the paper. They sat down. I said, they said, they said, that can't be done. So I'll show you. I picked up one of the papers. I came within three inches of the target. And I went, bing. Said I hit. Yeah, but you got up and did it. You went over there. So I didn't tell you you couldn't get up, did I? They looked at each other like, holy shit, this is going to be crazy. <laughs> this guy is crazy. But see, those are limitations they put on themselves. Right. I didn't put it on them. Anybody could ask me, Mr. Dorico, before I throw the paper, will you please show me the target? I would have went over and showed them the target. If when I said, pick up your paper, if they said, are there any restrictions? I would have said, no, I didn't give you any restrictions. They didn't ask. So the real, mo- the real moralist, ask and you shall receive. Oh, I love it. And you know, I learned that recently, not that whole ask and you'll receive, but I was at a Toastmasters Leadership Training Institute. And one of the leaders who was doing an exercise with us made us partner up. And one of the persons had to close their fist and the other person had to get the fist open any way they could. And so, of course, I'm trying to pry this person's fist open and all these other things. And at the end, she asked, well, who got the fist open? And people raised their hands. And how did you do it? And one of the people said, I asked. And they opened their hands. Yeah, yeah. Asking sure is it. And I was just like, it's it's a great lesson. And here's another thing, and I'm not going to do it here, but I can get a room of 100 people to reach beyond their limits within two minutes, every single one. It's an exercise I do. That's interesting. You'll have to tell me all Every about that person. sometime. I'll tell you off, offline because 
with time. It's yeah, because we're out of time. people have, what is it, racing cars where they put these limiters on them so they can't go very fast? Oh, I don't know that Human? much about the racing industry. Yeah, there, I think it's called a limiter or something. Okay. So they can't go 300 miles an hour. Sure, that's probably a safety. As Humans have been told that they're not good enough. Be careful. Not, they don't told be careful. Stop, you're going to kill yourself. Think of it this way. Go to a kindergarten class. Everybody out there, go. School started here yesterday. Go to a kindergarten class. Sit there. Watch the teacher ask the question. Watch the kids. How do the kids behave? Have you ever done this, by the way? I have not been to a kindergarten class since I was in kindergarten. I have. I got two kids. What? Sure. That makes sense. Well, they're not, they're not kindergarten anymore. Why? But they're, <laughs> and I, went to, I went to the class, and the teacher asked a question. <clears throat> and how did they all behave? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Nobody knew the answer, but they do. They just so excited about <laughs> participating. Now, follow that class. Go to ninth grade. Mm-hmm. The teacher asks a question. What happens? Silence. Nobody. Nope. Hard. No. The person that raises their hand is called names. Mm-hmm. What do they call the person that raises their hand in ninth grade? Teacher's pet, brown noser, all those things, and you wonder why they are not successful when they read real. Oh, Tony, this has been so wonderful. You've had, you've said so much that has made me think, and hopefully our listeners are also thinking deeply. Really appreciate your time and wisdom today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Oh, me too. We will bid adieu because we are out of time, and I want to respect your time and look forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Bye, Tony. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.